Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 235 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And what I like most about the uh, reboot for the Lethal Weapon TV series is how familiar the characters are. We've got a uh, bald guy with two kids who's paralyzed by crippling insecurities and a Texan who doesn't care whether he lives or dies. I can't wait until next season when they introduce a family man who's angry all the time and loves tiki drinks and a heavy set and arrogant know-it-all. <laughs> the odd couple. I'd yeah. watch that. I'm... <laughs> I can't really argue. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right. And good night, everybody. Too, That's all we got. <laughs> a little too close to home. <laughs> uh, well, well yeah. Way, so, um, so, yeah, we're talking about Lethal Weapon. <laughs> hey. Now, now that I brought Pat and Joel down. <laughs> I don't care. I'm drunk. Um, Already? Jesus. No, I'm taking my time. <laughs> He's like Boston. Oh, we're going to be drunk at halftime. Yep. You'll know. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Lethal Weapon. We mm-hmm. are watching, we have watched the 1987 Lethal Weapon. Uh, I don't know. Did, did any of us, except for me, delve deeper into the Lethal Weapon movies? I watched two. I've seen them all so many times. I got as far as three before I started, like, getting, like, the dry heaves. Oh, like if you them. like the dry heaves, then you might like the shows on the podcast collective. I don't. I don't think we should advertise that. <laughs> no, it was the first thing I had to work with. <laughs> These shows hey, come not... store shows. We'll make you dry heave. Such as it. on the block. <laughs> no hope for humanity. <laughs> the shun- sunshine happy pants hour. <laughs> <laughs> the dog and Zeus show. No, I like. <laughs> that. And of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. That was a very weird, weird intro. I wonder if I wonder if they ever listen to this and they're like, "Should we just tell them to stop doing this?" I'm not sure this is helping. Justin apparently loves it. It's actually their theme song now. What? You listen to the, the Rad Dad Radio Hour, and oh. it's just me and Pat going. You're not kidding, are you? No, I'm totally joking. Oh, oh damn. <laughs> it almost made you listen, though. Yeah, I suppose. You almost fooled me and made me listen to another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> made me listen to a podcast. I don't even listen to ours. Um, 
<laughs> so, I was there. Uh, if you're looking for our older stuff, please listen to it. It's iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, other podcasting directories on the interwebs. And if you want to give us a call, 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727-CHA. 8,000. I don't know. <laughs> what just happened there? I don't know. <laughs> I just gave us an extension. <laughs> and Mike chose to end in song. <laughs> Well, you can't see it, but he's tap dancing away in it right now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> hey, Josh. It's about that time. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. <laughs> All right, so we're going with March 6th. 1987, that is the release date of the first Lethal Weapon movie. All right. So music. The number one song in the land was Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. It's also the number one song in my heart. We're halfway there. <laughs> Whoa. Living on a prayer. No. Bon Jovi always makes me think of my ex, Donna. Oh, yes, Donna. Yeah, we talked about Donna before. Oh, Donna. Treat that's, yourself. That song also makes me think of her, believe it or not. That's weird. <laughs> I don't. All right. So uh, Kesha Rose Siebert, formerly stylized as Kesha, was born March 1st. She is an American singer, songwriter, and actress. And at age 18, she was signed to Kimasabi Records. Her first major success came in early 2009 after she was featured on Flo Rida's number one single, Right Round. Peach's music and image propelled her to immediate success. And uh, there's no and there with her debut album, <laughs> Animal, premiering at the top of the charts in several countries in 2009 and 2010. She achieved three more number one singles, TikTok and We Are Who We Are, as a solo artist, and Timber as a featured artist. Kesha has received several awards and nominations, and she has sold over 59 million records in the United States and 76 million records worldwide, and Joel actually kind of likes her. I like her, too. Ugh. Always have. I, I find her music good and her voice insufferable she's not big on you either i asked i have absolutely no opinion is that what we were doing i do not feel strongly about this one way or the other <laughs> wake up in the morning smelling like pat whaley oh um that's not how it goes smells anyway like kitty litter and bourbon Lil bow wow american <laughs> rapper and actor who was born shad gregory moss in columbus ohio on march 9th Oof. okay and finally, on March 9th, U2 releases the acronym of the week, TJT. Tor Johnson's Testicles. <laughs> Which See, is I got both the specific celebrity and the dick joke in there. That's good. And, that, and that, that is gold. Yeah, and it's really obscure, Tor Johnson. <laughs> That's gold, Jerry, gold. And it's fairly close to the actual album title, The, the Joshua Tree. Uh, which is an so. album that launched them into superstar status in the music world. The album would sell over 14 million copies worldwide in 1987 alone, and it'd win the Grammy for Album of the Year at the 1988 ceremony. U2 has two number one hit songs from this album on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 charts. Tor Johnson's Testicles. You know, I don't care for U2, but I don't really dislike them enough to spend any energy hating them. Yeah, kind of the same camp. I like them. The Joshua Tree, I liked them back then. Like, Joshua Tree was all right. And then the it seems like the more famous they got, the more cock-like bon Bono got. Pretentious is the word you're looking for. That, too. 
So, but I mean, I still I still like them. I've seen them in concert twice. Oh, I'm not like a you know an Uber fan or anything, but I like them. Yeah, and I know it's like really trendy to super hate on YouTube, and I think yeah. I used to be there, and now I'm it's I'm just kind of like eh, I kind of don't like them. Yeah, their song Sunday came- Bloody Sunday comes on, I still sing along. Yeah, their song comes on. Do I you know how far do I have to reach up to turn change the station? You know. Yeah, that's too far. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Lethal Weapon, knocking off the amazing A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. All right. I'm with Josh on this one. I know. I'm the only one that hates this movie. I can't believe it. And there's no way. It's like I'm not reading the teleprompter. (laughs) You got to know when you're going to see that word first and before you got down to the next line. Uh, It's not me reading it. That's true. George Randolph Scott was an American film actor whose career spanned a variety of genres. <laughs> Randolph Scott. Yes, that Randolph Scott. Yes. yes. Including social dramas, crime dramas, comedies, musicals, adventure tales, war films, and a few horror and fantasy films. However, his most enduring image is that of the tall in the saddle Western hero. Out of his more than 100 film appearances, over 60 were in Westerns. Scott's more than 30 years as a motion picture picture actor resulted in his working with a diverse array of cinematic leading ladies from Shirley Temple and Irene Dunn to Mae West and Marlene Dietrich tall, lanky and handsome. He displayed an easygoing charm and courtly Southern drawl in his early films that helped to offset his limitations as an actor. He gallantly rode off into the sunset on March 2nd due to heart and lung disease. Hi ho absorption away. Randolph Scott. Would you do it for Randolph Scott? That was one of those things where I didn't know who Randolph Scott was and then looked him up and then started watching his movies. I'm like, oh, I could see why that would be. Yeah, Randolph Squat. Squat? Randolph Squat. <laughs> Randolph Scott was, was John Wayne before John Wayne, basically. Mm-hmm. He was a little, more, a little more romantic leading man than, than John Wayne, but same Western badass. All right, David Daniel Kaminsky was an American actor, singer, dancer, comedian, and musician. His performances featured physical comedy, idiosyncratic pantomimes, and rapid-fire novelty songs. He starred in 17 movies, almost all of which are still popular. He was the first ambassador-at-large at UNICEF in 1954 and received the French Legion of Honor in 1986 for his years of work with the organization. On March 3rd of this week, Kaminsky, better known as Danny Kay, would never tap dance with Bing Crosby again. Uh-huh. I always like Danny Kaye movies. Me too. Like the um uh the Court Jester. Oh, that's a that's a good one. You know, old school. I can't really say I'm familiar with his body of work. I've seen like, you know, clips of him dancing and shit, you know, but he's he's you ever heard that uh that sketch The Vessel with the Pestle has a pellet with the poison? Yeah. That's Danny Kaye. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I, I'm, I'm familiar with him. I just, I don't think I've ever seen a movie from start to finish, except for um, White Christmas. That, that's yeah, that's probably the only one. Huh. That's the one I was gonna go for. The one with uh, that says you know, no such thing as bad boy, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The um, that one, the court jester also has what's her face from uh, Angela Lansbury back when she was young and still looked like your grandmother. Yeah. She <laughs> some, she somehow managed to look like a young Angela Lansbury. Which is exactly what you would expect. Before she wrote murder. Right. <laughs> so the top shows in the land for TV are The Cosby Show, A Different World, and Cheers. Very, very 1987. Yeah, who could have seen that coming? 
<laughs> and uh, the A-Team ends its four-year run on March 8th, and The Wizard ended on March 12th. What's The Wizard? Does anybody remember that show? Yep, that was about the... the Billy, uh, Billy Barty, I believe? No, it was, Warwick it, Davis. It was, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a no-name guy. No, but, I'm pretty sure it was Billy Barty. It may know. have been The Wizard, but the main, the main character was a no-name guy. Oh, because it wasn't. I mean, it, even though the wizard was the was the title character, he wasn't like the main character. He was like in the background, wasn't he? Because he was like the hidden recluse of whatever. And right, David Rappaport. Do I remember this right? Because he was a toy maker that like stayed. He was like kind of a hermit. Wait, Simon, I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong. Simon McKay. Yeah, I remember. I remember the show, and the, but I might be remembering like <laughs> details of the show incorrectly. No, David Rappaport was the. Uh, was uh, the toy maker? The main, yeah, the main character, like, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I I have a very vague recollection of this. Yeah, I remember I watched like the first two episodes and never watched it again. I wasn't too impressed. I only had. Oh, okay, another little person starring yeah. the voices of Frank Welker and Roddy McDowell, huh? AKA Fred Jones and Optimus Prime and Scooby. That's no, true. you're thinking that Frank Welker was. You're thinking of. Uh, who am Wait. I thinking of? Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Yeah, Frank Welker was definitely in this. I, I finally found it after carving yeah. through pages of the Nintendo movie. Optimus Prime, you're right. Don't you challenge me. <laughs> no, that's all. I, I only got two this week. Sports! Alright, moving on to sports. Build as the Super Fight. On March 7th, WBC champion Mike Tyson fought WBA champion James Bonecrusher Smith for the right to fight IBF champion Michael Spinks for the undisputed heavyweight championship. Smith was one of the few to ever go 12 rounds with Tyson, but he lost in a unanimous decision. So you had to fight somebody else to fight somebody else. Well, it basically was like, there's three major championships, and it's like if you own all three, you're the undisputed heavyweight ch- champion. And so you know, all three of them had the titles, and that was just kind of the agreement they said, you know, came to, like, you, know, you two fight, and then I'll fight the winner, because he had the title for the longest. But the funny thing is, he abandoned his title before he ever had to fight Tyson because he didn't want to get his ass beat. <laughs> yeah, probably. Smart. <laughs> probably. I, wa- I watched that fight. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, Mike Tyson when he was when he was you know young and oh my hungry. and hungry God he was a he was like a a bucket pit bull bulldog combo. I mean, he was a wrecking ball. He was he was the real life Clubber Lang. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I mean that's that's kind of like what it felt like 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 this is the Clubber Lang brought to life this motherfucker he's just walking out and just destroying career fighters. I must break you. Yeah. <laughs> Come over here and see what a real man looks like. <laughs> I think that's an actual Clubber Lang and Mike Tyson quote. Oh, see what you did there. Huh? All right. <laughs> Sunil Manohar, Sunny Gavaskar is widely regarded as one of the greatest opening batsmen in test cricket history. He set world records during his career for the most test runs and most test centuries scored by any batsman. He held the record of 34 test centuries for almost two decades before it was broken in 2005. He was the first person to score score centuries in both innings of a test match three times. And on March 7th, he became the first cricket batsman to score 10,000 test runs. In one game? No, career. That was a long game. They are long, but they're not that long. <laughs> it lasted his whole career. <laughs> Please make let me stop playing. My wife just had a baby, sir. That was 12 years ago. Oh, my God. 
anyway, so that's uh, Sonny. Um, moving on, on March 11th, Wayne Gretzky scored his 1,500th career point. Holy crap. That's ridiculous. Yep. There, I mean, impressive feats in sports this week. Yeah, I mean, there's very few athletes where you can be like, yeah, that's an amazing thing. Like, two of them with having Mike Tyson in one fighting in the fight. Mike Tyson and Wayne Gretzky are like, I'm not even... And, and Sonny yeah. Gavaskar, they're all like... Yeah, the well, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean I don't mean to step on the memory of Sonny Gavaskar. Yeah. No, he's still alive, too. Oh, well, then, sorry, He's Sonny. still playing. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me eat! The, the game isn't done yet! All right, so take us out, Keyboard Joel. So we haven't done a cop show in a while. Have we done, have we done cop shows at all? Not Hawaii Five-0. Oh, okay, yeah. There was yeah, Hawaii Five-0, we talked about the Shaft movies. Yeah. That is a theme. Yes. So uh, we are we have watched uh, Lethal Weapon. Uh, some of us have delved a little bit deeper into the movies than others, and but I think we've seen them all at one point or another. For sure. Yeah. So uh, for the then... I don't. I don't think I've seen uh, or Jet no. Lee. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. Really? Yeah. Hmm. What was it? Who was in three? Uh, Joe I may Pat- not have seen three or four. I think two turned me off so much I didn't see three or four. I uh, think you made a good decision, and I've seen them all. Yeah. yeah. Rene Russo was the other. Oh, the other love interest. Yeah. yeah. I may have seen that one, but I, so. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but who was the bad guy? In four. Rutger Hauer. In three. In three, oh. it was the... Um, Rutger Hauer is always the bad guy in everything. I am pretty much mean like in life. Huh. Stuart Wilson? The bad guy? I don't remember the bad guy in that one now. Oh. Hans Gruber. He's always good throw, too. <laughs> All right. Safe bet. So uh, then we've got one. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> uh, number one, a veteran policeman, Murtaugh, is partnered with younger suicidal officer Riggs. They both have one thing in common. They hate working in pairs. Now they must learn to work with one another to stop a gang of drug smugglers. Number two, Riggs and Murtaugh on the trail of South African diplomats who are using their immunity to engage in criminal activities. Three, Martin Riggs pursue a former LAPD officer uses his knowledge of police procedure and policies to steal and sell confiscated guns and ammunition to street gangs. And four, now personal crises and age weighs in on them, and LAPD officers Riggs and Murtaugh must contend with the triads that are trying to free their former leaders out of prison and onto American soil. There was a fifth yep. one where they go into space. There's a fifth one on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Lethal Weapon 5. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's actually not too terrible. They have Danny DeVito with Murtaugh. There's, there's a lot of blackface in it, though. And there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of gratuitous sex. I'm just guessing it's going to be not what I'm expecting, but still be pleased by it. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's quite quite fun. Very cool. All right. So this is directed by Richard Donner, at least for the first one, who's known for such things as Goonies, Superman, Radio Flyer, The Omen, Lady Hawk. And the Donner Party. Yes. Uh, that's why he always gets seated first when he goes to restaurants. <laughs> not that Donner Party. <laughs> Writing <laughs> credit. So, uh, writing credits, Shane Black, who also did Monster Squad, Last Action Hero, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and The Nice Guys. And he's currently uh, rewrote or wrote the new Predator movie, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, The Predator. That's in, that's uh, it's tooth coming out next year, I think. Oh, I just checked. Richard Donner did do part two. Oh, he did? Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Bowen, 
Uh, he was uncredited in this one, but I decided to put him in here because he has also helped with writing on such things as Last Crusade, Lost Boys, Inner Space, and The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Well, I'll be damned. I've never heard of it. What? <laughs> How Richard? dare you, sir? <laughs> Richard Donner did all four. I forgot. Yeah. Well, he was actually, he was a creator. He wrote 27 episodes. <laughs> so he pretty much made the entire show. No, I mean, he directed all four movies. Yes. Uh, he also, I mean, he did some Tales from the Crypt. I mean, he was he was all over the place. Several things where he just, he was uncredited on, so which I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, this stars uh, Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs, Danny Glover as Roger Murtaugh, Gary Busey as Joshua from the first one, Mitchell Mr. Ryan. Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua. Uh, Mitchell Ryan as the general, and... Uh, this rewatching these movies, it's a whole bunch of I know that actor type stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what uh, if you don't know Mitchell Ryan? He I recognized him from. Um, he's the father in uh, Gross Point Blank that uh, he's been sent to town to kill, Mister Newberry. Anyway, no? Okay. Okay. All right. I'll take the report. Uh, Tom Atkins is Michael Hunsaker. Uh, Mike's Halloween. all like, got one over on him. <laughs> yeah. From Halloween 3. The what? Who? Tom Atkins was in Halloween 3. Oh, he was in a lot of uh, horror Night movies. of the Creeps. The Fog. Yep. And Joel's favorite, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Uh, I like that one. Darlene, that's why I said it's your favorite, because it's got that song in there. <laughs> Silver Shamrock. Yeah. Uh, so, Mrs. Murtaugh... <laughs> As uh, played by Darlene Love, who is known for Lethal Weapon one, two, three, and four. Uh, she's done some other stuff, but a lot, not a lot of TV. Uh, Tracy Wolf. I, I only put her in here because it seems like an it. She was like a head a highlight in the first one, but it was like ne- uh And presenting. What is that? What they say when the first person comes out in their first movie? Introducing, introducing, and introducing Tracy Wolf, and the picture of her, her on her IMD page, is her screaming when they're in the desert when they kidnap her. So I don't think she's gone any further than that. That's unfortunate. They, they introduced her, but nobody wanted to meet her. Apparently, yeah, they're all like, "No, that's okay. You can keep her." <laughs> yeah, she only that's she which did is, an episode. Dad, she's cute. You know? Yeah, that she did she... an episode of In the Heat of the Night and The Cosby Show, and that was it. She didn't, the yeah, she didn't do a bad job or anything. No, no, she didn't. Very serviceable. I didn't think it was anything. Yeah, whatever. So, uh, second and third and fourth movie, Joe Pesci gets interjected. Uh, yeah. Yep. For some reason. He, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He is so fucking annoying in these movies. Okay. He's like when you get a pimple on your ass and it's right where the edge of your underwear is. That's Joe Pesci. Okay. That came okay. out. That came out a little bit stronger than I. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Pesci's rolling over in his what? grave right now. Why don't we go do some trivia? Because we're going over some more, of the, some more of the villains. No, we don't need to talk about two and three. We're done. Oh, come on. Joss Ackland has Denomalos. Okay, fine. Two only. Okay. Denomalos from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey plays a bad guy in number two, along with uh, Derek O'Connor, who was another one of those guys who you think you know and then realize he wasn't in too much. He's not the guy from White Christmas, Pat. No. But yes, so Trivia. Uh, Jackie Swanson in the very beginning of the movie uh, Jackie Swanson does a high dive off of a huge tower to commit suicide she did yep. great so, stunt amazingly good stunt It. she did the fall and it looked like to be at least 
10 stories up. Am I over shooting that? No. It was pretty damn high. But uh, she was actually trained by legendary stuntman Dar Robinson to do the stunt. And they had an airbag covered with a life-size painting of the driveway and the cars. So it was like a miniature blended into the background. So when she jumped, they could hold that scene of her falling for longer than you would be able to normally if it was just blue or whatever. So they held the shot until right before she made contact with the airbag. And then they cut to the body hitting the car at the beginning. So wait, you said the name of the Dar Robinson. <laughs> it's like her parents when they're born. What do you want to name him? Dar. All right. So okay. also, legendary <laughs> stuntman Dar Robinson was killed in a motorcycle accident shortly after principal photography was finished on this movie. Dar. <laughs> uh, nice Joel. Make he's, fun of the dead. He's Dar on arrival. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Richard Donner dedicated the film to him. You guys are horrible. And if I'm saying that, you have... That's a terrible thing. This poor Dar. He was... He was... Well, it's better than if he was like in a vegetable state after that. And all I could say was Dar. We named him that because that's all he could pronounce. <laughs> His name used to be Reginald. <laughs> Would you guys like to get your handbasket to hell fixed up a little bit more? <laughs> Oh, that ticket uh, has been punched for so long. I know. So uh, Leonard Nimoy was also one of the choices considered for directing, but he didn't feel comfortable doing action movies, and he went back to working on Three Men and a Baby. What? Leonard Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby? That's what the that trivia is, says. That is news to me. What? Yeah, no, That's directed news. by Leonard Nimoy. Seriously? <laughs> I did not know that. That's crazy. That's crazy pants. I, I like it. It doesn't happen often, but I like it when we get you on something like that. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, also, trivia. In the uh, Christmas tree scene where we first meet... Um, uh, <clears throat> who do we meet? Riggs. Riggs. Yes, Riggs. when we're first meeting Riggs. Uh, Blackie Dammit. Uh, his real name is John Cadis, who portrays one of the drug dealers at the Christmas tree stand, is actually the father of Anthony Cadis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Huh. Yep. If you didn't have it in there, I was going to mention it. So yeah, give it away. <laughs> I've got I've got Arr. some trivia from the other ones, but I mean, the, so we will skip over these. Is this the first time of watching for any of us? No, I, I don't know. even I'd know be, how that would be possible. Yeah, yeah, at this point, it'd be like you know asking, if, "Have you seen Die Hard?" This is one of those iconic movies you that almost anybody growing up in, in the 80s and 90s has at least seen the very first movie. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a dude or has a dad. Yeah. yeah. This is the prototype of the buddy cop comedy. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. This was this was the, the first real big, huge blockbuster buddy comedy, right? Buddy cop comedy. Yeah, when did with, the, with really big name. Well, he wasn't that really... That was solo more than, than buddy, though. Yeah, that was all Absolutely. Axel Foley. That wasn't buddy cop. That was Axel Foley and the... Uh, and the goon squad. They're the two bumbling detectives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, if, if you're talking about TV shows, you could go back to Starsky and Hutch. But that wasn't comedy. I mean, that was that was like straight action. This right. Was, it had com- comedic elements, but yeah, it wasn't a comedy. Yeah. And, and that's kind of my question is considering how heavy the comic elements are in this. I've heard it referred to and argued over whether or not this is a parody of the cop action movie. Maybe not as heavy-handed a parody as like a Zucker Brothers, but a little self-aware that it's playing with the tropes and pushing them to, or some might say, a couple steps over the edge. 
this movie is definitely turned up to 11. It is lethal weapon. I mean, when you first meet uh, Murdoch, or uh, Murdoch. Uh, when you first Murdoch. meet, I'm sorry, when you first meet Riggs. <laughs> when you first meet Face. Yes. <laughs> when you first meet Riggs, he's doing that, uh, the Three Stooges thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you Mel, you play, you play a crazy cop, and they just never, it's like, they never said, hey, maybe tune it back a little bit. But, you know, from movies like this, we got stuff like Tango and Cash. <laughs> oh, and that's... And that sort of thing, you know, would kind of spawn the genre. And I think a lot of the movies past this saw this as kind of like the, I don't say the, uh, the edge, the limit. Yeah, and that's why I always thought it was weird that you'd occasionally see after this movie people trying to make a parody of Lethal Weapon. Because while I don't think it's clear cut, you could make a pretty strong case for Lethal Weapon itself being a parody. I'm not actually sure where I stand. I go back and forth on it. But I, I think you can see where a defense could be made for either side of the argument. Oh yeah. I figured out one more that may have been before this 48 hours. What about that? Mm. That was 82. But for, that's, a good, that's a very good one. It was, it was funny, I but I don't think it was, it wasn't as, it wasn't as comedic as this one was. No, I would say it definitely is. You think so? Yeah. Maybe There's not a lot of much. great lines in, in, in it. Like, you know, you know, read me a story, Jack. Fuck you. Oh, that's my favorite story. Maybe not as maybe this one is a little bit more straightforward. The other one is more of a comedy. This one's more of an action slash comedy. But uh, yeah, that, that, he might have us on that one. Yeah, yeah. Right. And if not the first, this is the one that defined the genre. I, I don't think yeah. anything else is imitating Forty Eight Hours as much as it's imitating Lethal Weapon. Right. Because right. after this, there was a, a huge like glut of buddy cop movies for, and still are. Oh yeah. And that there actually was a parody of this, Loaded Weapon. Ah, uh, yes. Starring, of course, Emilio Estevez, strangely Samuel L. Jackson. And then it gets weirder with uh, John Lovitz, Tim Curry, Kathy Ireland, and then William Shatner. And I think I kind of want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> so, suddenly, suddenly become intrigued. An L.A. detective is murdered because she has a microfilm with a recipe to make cocaine cookies. Well, all right, I'm in. <laughs> Don't take much. But yeah, um, Gary Busey was a great villain in this one, though. Well, not even a villain, but the great henchman. He does. He does play a psycho well for some reason. I think it's because he's fucking nuts. Um, it might be, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And no, I think that may be in the thing. It's like Gary Busey was being so psycho, and everyone was kind of like, "We should we have him tone it back?" You tell him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he did actually, in an interview, comment that he felt that this brought his career back. I would agree. Mm -hmm. You know, because after this, he went on to do uh, Point Break a couple years later. So, it's kind of weird, because it's the same guy who played Buddy Holly, too, so that was kind of strange. He was great as Buddy Holly. He was, and that's what's so weird about it. So Nowadays, nowadays. a parody of himself. Yeah. Hello, pants. <laughs> right. But no, the, um, I think the Leaf What movies, I mean, they are, I don't think they, they went full, like, Josh, I don't think it's full parody, but I do think it is, we're, we're, we're all out. Yeah, and that's the thing is someone could say, I think it's definitely a parody, and I, I would say I respect that opinion and see where you're coming from, or they could say it's not a parody, and I was like, yeah, no, I get that too. <laughs> it's it's definitely on the line where I could see it either way, mm -hmm. but it's been a long enough discussion that I thought it was worth bringing up, especially considering when I saw that Loaded Weapon was a thing, I was just like, why? <laughs> Didn't they already do that? Well, and that's even before they got 
over the top and terrible with those spoof movies. Yeah. Yeah. Those, it was coming close though. Those got out of hand. I, I watched up to three. I could handle the brief momentary of Joe Pesci in number two. And once Joe Pesci dyed his hair blonde and became a realtor in the third one, I was done. <laughs> I mean, Joe Pesci becomes the Steve Urkel of the series. Aww. Yeah, they, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but I mean, going down to the, I mean, do you enjoy these? That's, that's the question. They are over the top. They are ridiculous. I mean, I could only handle so much. And granted, I did watch two and three run right after the other, which may have been a bad move. <laughs> I enjoy the hell out of one. I tolerate two and at three. I'm completely out. What's your word on four? I'm sad I watched it. I want an hour and a half of my life back. <laughs> you weren't doing anything with it. I like all video games are a thing. <laughs> Maybe I'm in. I guess I'm in the minority, but I enjoy all four of them. To be fair, Joel, you liked Thanks Killing. I love Thanks Killing. I've seen it several so, times. I am. I rest my case. <laughs> that's, a, witnesses. that's a great B horror movie. Okay, C. Okay, Z. But still, it's fantastic. They're fun. It's it's like the Rush Hour movies. Maybe they're not getting better as they go along, but they're still fun and they're still the original characters. And I, the fact that I love the dynamic between the two characters and what's going on with Murtaugh's family is what got me through to the end of two without checking out. But yeah, as soon as it became the Joe Pesci show, I yeah. was just like, no. Yeah. And what? Okay. Why does everybody in the family feel it's okay to just walk in on dad taking a bath? Yeah, I wondered that, too, just for the very first film. And it wasn't until the third one where I noticed that M- Mrs. Murtaugh takes a washcloth and kind of covers his junk. I didn't notice that at all in the first two. I don't think they did. I think they just added that to because people were like, what is going on? Is everyone standing in the bathroom with the wang dangling around and all that? Yeah. I mean, it's got why, why everybody's looking at his Murtaugh. <laughs> um, and two, there was actually a second um, script for Lethal Weapon 2 that never got made. And everyone believes it is the better of the uh, of those. Uh, Shane Black, Richard Donner got together and wrote it, and Martin Riggs actually dies in the oh. second one. He does pushing Joe Pesci in front of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> he is a hero to all of us. Um, but yeah, they they initially came up with that one, and the, the powers that be <laughs> were just like, Eh, it got a little dark. Let's keep with the slack, slapstick and the happy and the Three Stooges references, and uh, we'll all get along better. Uh, so yeah, they got that that got completely changed, and it unfortunately never got made. Even though I think that would have been a you know a little bit better ending for Martin Riggs. Um, yeah, I'm sure at that point they're like, we could print some more money if we don't kill him. <laughs> that was exactly it. That yeah. was the that was the entire reason. But then again, it depends on where it's at in the film and where you go from there with that film. Even even not even considering franchising it further, I would be curious to read that because I wonder how soon it is and then where does it go? Because if you lose that dynamic and there's no Pesci, what do you have? Not that I'm saying you want Pesci, but I'm just saying if you don't have a, another character, is it just a solo movie at that point? I don't think I could handle a, a movie with just Murtaugh, though. I, and I think that's the reason why that almost has to happen at the climax of the movie, and the rest of it is Murtaugh uh, getting revenge. Yeah. For like I, the third act. Yeah. Like, or even just the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Where I, the climax of the third act is the shocking death of Riggs. Yeah. And they actually had. Now, is this something else that anybody else noticed in this one that Eric Clapton did the music in these movies? Yeah, I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. That weird as shit. <laughs> 
Um, but for the second movie, they actually had things set up for, they weren't sure which ending they were going to go with at the end of the second movie. They thought they weren't sure if they were going to kill uh, Riggs or not. So they actually had a ending of the movie lined up with like Tears in Heaven playing. Yeah, you see at the climax of the movie, Eric Clapton is dangling Riggs over a balcony. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Coked out of his brain. Oh Wow. <laughs> That's pretty awful. Yeah. I like it. And here you are talking about da. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I didn't say a word. No, he knew he was he was saving up for that one. He, yeah. But yeah, no, that I I want to know. I bet there's a cool story behind why Clapton got involved with this. Maybe so. he's buddies with Richard Donner, or they did something else together. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> it was the late eighties. That's true. <laughs> hey Donner, what are you doing? Snorting up some coke. Hey, can I write some music for your film? <laughs> oh, if you do some coke with me. Well, all right, if I gotta. Yeah. You gotta twist my arm. Oh, why does it always go this way? <laughs> um, here's another question for you. Watching them now, how well do these age? Mm, I think the first one aged like fine wine, and the rest aged like milk. <laughs> I would agree with that. I mean, there's some some points here and there where it's a little glaringly obvious that it's dated, like where he's talking on the uh, the cell phone on the bridge. Yeah. Oh yeah, the big old yeah. I mean, there's stuff like that where you kind of it takes you out of for a minute, but overall, I mean, it's it's a good enough story and it's made well that I, I think it it holds up. I noticed my... they were much more uh, prolific with the with the fucks in Lethal Weapon two as opposed to one. They were like, we we are clearly an R-rated movie. Let's just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Because like in the first one, you know, they they didn't throw a whole lot of like while they're while they're just casually talking. Oh, this fucking guy, that fucking guy, that kind of thing. You know, it's like. But in the second one, they sure did. Well, I think they lost the nudity. They traded. <laughs> they traded the nudity for more fucks, which oh. sounds no, weird. The, the blonde girl was still topless in the sex scene. Oh yeah, that's right. The Russian. Yeah. No, the South South African. Yeah. That. Yeah. But um. Same thing. Yeah, I guess maybe. Moving the on. Ameri- there's American and not American. That's all that matters. That's right. You're from Texas. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, very. I mean, the first one, I think age is almost kind of like a the age of it, like with the phone, like you were saying, Joel. I don't think that yeah. took me out of it too as much as it reminded me when it was happening. Kind of like, um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, but Big Lebowski. I have. I you actually, it's on my agenda to watch it again. Oh, really? Well, you should, because he's got the bag phone in that. You know, it definitely uh, solidifies the timepiece. Yeah. Right. It sets it in a particular place in time and nowhere else. Yeah. And the girls were watching that one. They're like, that's a phone. Yes. And what does it do? It makes phone calls. <laughs> and something their, their feeling of it was like something that big should do something more than just a phone call. Nope. Just phone calls. <laughs> it faxes yeah that's a that's that's the motto of my life something that big should do more i was gonna say ah but then i realized you're right (laughs) (laughs) and and i didn't mean that it took me out of it it just dated it that's all yeah i think i think definitely it it what josh said it dates it in the second one it like (laughs) it, it went from being something that they were kind of almost like maybe trying to show off when it first was released to now it's like oh <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the thing is there's a big difference between like an in gag based on like an arsenio hall reference and a bag phone yeah like one is just like okay this cultural reference was funny 30 years ago but most people don't even 
understand it now versus, okay, yeah, that's what the phones looked like then. I think it's pretty cool that he actually had one, that they even put that in there. Yeah, I was a little surprised that a cop would have that, honestly, because they have CB radio, right? So do they need it? Well, I don't suppose his wife has a CB. He only used it to call his wife. Yeah, but is it the police or is it his own? I'll go with his own. Might be his own that he bought when his wife was pregnant. Ah. Oh. See? There you Stop go. Stop being smart, Pat. <laughs> okay. Check out, check out the big brain on Dar. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys have a favorite moment of the first one? Oh. Right. I think you got to go with the, the, the ending fight between him and Mr. Joshua. <sighs> it was such a great, great choreographed fight scene. It was a good fight. And the fact that they let it kept letting it go. Yeah. That opening insane stunt is actually, despite the fact it has neither Glover or Gibson on screen, it, it's one of the iconic moments of the film that has just stuck with me pretty much forever. Which one? The, the iconic the falling stunt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a great opening. I think one of the things that has always stuck with me ever since I saw it when I was younger was the scene where he's up on the ledge and he's trying to talk the jumper down or at least to uh, play string him along long enough that he can jump with him. I always enjoyed that scene because it kind of summed up the Riggs character. And then the scene right I after. Like, I would say immediately after it when you know he he sticks his hand in the in, you know in the in the hammer of the gun. Does, I mean. Yeah, that was just a, a great scene, and just to look in Gibson's face, and he's like, "I'm hungry." <laughs> they they bookmark nicely, I guess. This yeah, yeah, you know, kind of where I'm headed. It sums up his character. I mean, he yeah, it's just you know, the poor guy's just in he's pain, damaged. Yeah. yeah. Mike, did you have a a selection? I I don't want to go back to it again, you know, but I wish I could say something more original than the fight at the end, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's and it's one of those fights that's done it's uh, it's in that same category as fight as in um uh they live put on the put on the glasses yes <laughs> we're gonna fight for 10 minutes of this movie isn't going to be a completely a choreographed fight scene <laughs> just a balls to the wall fight yeah and this one i think i honestly at one point or another i think they might have been gary knows he's acting right he knows this is fake <laughs> Because they were, it was a really good scene. I am Mr. Joshua. <laughs> That's my cousin, Dr. Joshua. And there's <laughs> Reverend Joshua. And what about the band at the bar, by the way? Speaking of dated. Oh, my God. Terrible. I, I want to say that there's a piece of trivia somewhere that I've seen that, that it was an actual band. but It was Steel Panther. <laughs> no. Um <laughs> And, and yeah, there's a, this this is another movie that has a line that I use uh, quite often. Uh, get, getting too old for this shit. No. Super Karate Death Monkey Car. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> no, the uh, you're out there like Pluto, man. <laughs> I use that line a lot for some reason. I've never heard you say that. Yeah, Did I don't. You? I mean, I, I only because you're not crazy. Like <laughs> if somebody like if I ever have to describe somebody as crazy, I'm like that dude's out there like Pluto. Oh. It's not like a you know a constant daily thing, but you know if I ever had to describe someone as crazy, that's my go-to phrase. I was trying to imagine just like an everyday reason you'd say that. You <laughs> right? Could, yeah, not every day. No. <laughs> you're at you're at a restaurant. You're picking up some takeout. <laughs> well, these prices are out there like Pluto. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> get, 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 get. Whoa. <laughs> he said Pluto. And crab walk out like Zoidberg. <laughs> Can you physically do that? I don't know. We could find out in August. <laughs> 
<laughs> Challenge. So, anybody else got anything to say about Lethal Weapon? I mean, it's kind of hard to. We don't really have to describe the movie plot-wise. I think pretty much everybody's seen it. No, I, I'm sorry. My my brain was stuck as thinking about you crab walking. <laughs> no, I don't think we have to. I mean, it, it's. <laughs> Who's Pat cosplaying? Pat, take off your shirt. Oh, Zoidberg. That's <laughs> oh. not red. Oh. Oh, it's the Rancor uh, Keeper. You're, you're terrible, and it's awesome. <laughs> Pat and I are carpooling to hell, by the way. Oh, my God. Yay. All right. No, I don't think we need to go over it again. I mean, it's uh, everybody knows it's, it, it's, it's a classic piece of action movie, you know, up there with, uh, with Die Hard. Yeah. You know, Die sure. Hard is the penultimate or the ultimate of the solo cop saving the day, and I think... Uh, Lethal Weapon is the ultimate of the buddy cop series. Now, is there? Do you think before we get to the TV show, is there a buddy cop movie that you think is better than this? That's what I was just thinking about as soon as you said that. Um, hmm. Hot Fuzz, Lethal Weapon, Super Cop, Point Break, The Last Boy Scout. They're not both cops. I would go with Collision Course. Shut your face hole. <laughs> I mean, everything I'm thinking of that is sort of buddy cop-ish, they're not both cops. Like, I enjoy other Shane Black buddy movies. I like The Nice Guys, and I like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a lot. And I think that uh, Lethal Weapon, for me, is slotted right in between those two. With Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I like a little better than Lethal Weapon, and The Nice Guys almost as much. See, um, I just put that into uh, IMDb, and the only thing that ranks higher than Lethal Weapon is Hot Fuzz. We've got the other guys, Rush Hour, uh, Running Scared, 21 Jump Street, 48 Hours. I think, but I think Hot, uh, I, well, you know what's interesting about this is that Hot Fuzz is a full-on parody of a buddy cop movie. Yeah. And then you have Lethal Weapon that could be a parody of a buddy cop movie, but it's. Well, and you've definitely got that Hot Fuzz does for buddy cop movies what Shaun of the Dead did for zombie flicks. And it does it spot on beautifully. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus, Bad Boys. Oh, that's a good one. I disagree with both of you. No, I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying that's one that we're not thinking of. Yeah, I've always thought that movie was a steaming pile. I've never liked it myself, but I'm just... I love it. Tango and Cash? Oh, I love Tango and Cash, but I don't think it's better than Lethal Weapon. I will take... I I think I would put Tango and Cash on the same level as Lethal Weapon, but that's only only because they got the the Kurt Russell thing. And the monster truck? Yeah, man. Is there a monster truck in that? Yeah, there's a monster truck in that one. Red Heat, Pat, does that qualify? Oh, God, yeah. But no. <laughs> <laughs> Five uh, feet parakeet. Yeah, I think, a euphemism? I think we'll stick with uh, uh, Lethal Weapon being number one. What about... It's, hey, I agree with you on that one, except, but, you know, for what we're talking about. But give me some Tango and Cash. Oh, I like oh. Tango and Cash, but... Oh, Tango and oh. Cash is awesome. But uh, we're not doing the show on that, sadly nope. enough. All right, so when we come back, we have watched the new 2016, 16, 16 to now. 16 and still going, yeah. Yeah, Lethal Weapon TV show. So uh, Merton Riggs come back, and they're eating yogurt and shit. Oh, the other guys. <laughs> Blue Streak. Uh, another Martin Lawrence crap fest. <laughs> Poor Martin Lawrence. Aww. I've never liked him. I didn't until I saw Bad Boys. 
Shut up. It's true. I when I watched his show, I hated him. I wanted to punch him in the throat. And then after Bad Boys, I, I became a moderate fan for a short period. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna take a break now and let Joel think about the mistakes he's made in his life. Yep. No, I'd like to get a drink anyway, so All right, we are back, and we're talking about 2016's TV version of Lethal Weapon. Uh, this is the uh, second time. No, second time. Have we, have we done a movie to TV? Oh, I think we've done a bunch of them, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just did Fargo not so long ago. Oh, that's true. I, I don't know, for some reason or another, um, Hawaii Five-0 popped in my head, and then I realized it was a TV show back then, too. So, And then I got confused. All right, so... This one is a retelling of the Roger Murtaugh and Martin Riggs story with Damon Wyans as Roger Murtaugh. Now, is Damon Homie the Clown? Yes. Okay. Yes, Damon okay. was Homie the Clown. Okay. Wasn't sure which brother that was. The, origin, the oldest of the Wayans brothers that's a celebrity. Yeah. Keenan is the oldest. Is he? Oh, wait, you're right. I think Keenan Ivory is the oldest, yeah. You're right. Oh, I forgot about Keenan. Damon is probably the one with the most prolific career. You could argue that, but I think he probably is the one that's done the most stuff and has been the most forward in his stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, and more uh, respectable. No, I can't say that because Marlon's done some serious stuff, too. Right. And that was the thing is Keenan was supposed to be the brother that was the serious face forward, but he went behind the camera fairly early on in his career. Yeah. And and kind of stayed there for the most part. Yeah. Directing his brothers. <laughs> I will say yeah. when they say when I first saw Lethal Weapon TV with Damon Wayans as Roger Murtaugh, my initial impression was not kind. No, but I mean, while in one head, one hand you go, OK, this is the dude who did Major Pain. It's also the guy who played opposite Bruce Willis in Last Boy Scout. That's not going to sell me. I think that movie stinks. Well, oh, I liked it. Oh, like come that. on. I've had various arguments with Other Mike because that's one of his favorite movies. Well, I tell Other Mike I agree with him. Yeah, me too. (laughs) God bless. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Also, Martin Riggs is played by Clayne Crawford, um, who, if you have not seen it, um, the Baytown Outlaws, he's in that, and really good as a kind of like psycho gang member of Brothers type of thing. Yeah. he 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 plays a character called Brick Udi, and thus also stars Billy Bob Thornton and Eva Longoria. Longoria? Longoria. Uh, it's, I don't even know how to put it. They're goofy gang of brothers, criminal brothers chasing down Eva Longoria, Longoria whatever her name is. And mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton tossed into the mix, and it's a gun-filled goofball fun time. Am I the only one who have seen this? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't... I yeah. Currently I'm, on Amazon Prime. So I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. This is the first time I've ever come across Clayton Crawford before. Same here. Oh, well, you definitely should check out Baytown Outlaws then. Um, good stuff. We should probably mention real quick, since we usually mention the director, but since it's a TV show, there's too many directors. Uh, it was executive produced. It still is executive produced by McGee, and he directed the first two episodes. Okay. And McGee's also uh, responsible for one of my family's like cult shows that's um Charlie's Angels. Yes, that's it. Uh Supernatural. 
Thank you. And, and he most recently, uh, he did one of my, well, my tie for best mo- horror movie of last year, The Babysitter, which is a Netflix original. That was is, really good. It's fucking hilarious. It's so good. I don't think Pat would like it, though. Probably not. No, not Pat's gig. Josh, maybe. Pat, no. I was trying to figure out what, if anything, I'd seen Clayton Crawford in before, and it looks like uh, he was a bit recurring part on Jericho. Oh, okay. And that, that's, I knew I'd seen him in something, but I also suspected it was something like that, where he was a background character that kept popping up. Okay. Oh. That's I'm sure in, I'd never seen him in anything. I have seen him in something. He was in Spectral, which was another Netflix original movie. Oh, that's right. That's the one where they were, hunt, they were had the ghosts. Yeah, they were the ghosts that they were basically fighting ghosts. It was pretty badass. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So then Trish Murtaugh is played by Keisha Sharp. Yeah. I was waiting for Pat to make a noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably the widest lips in television. They take up like three quarters of her face. Very cute. She's she's attractive. I won't disagree with you, Pat. Think so? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Very attractive. Very attractive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kevin Rahm as Brooks Avery as the chief. Which he's one of those guys that you see him. You're like, I know that guy, but you don't know his name. Yeah. He, he kind of reminds me of a uh, young um, crap. Just lost his name. What's his face from mannequin. The bad guy. Good old young crap. Yes. Young <laughs> crap. Dar. Isn't he a SoundCloud rapper? <laughs> <laughs> That's so and, and his sidekick is a little poopy. <laughs> what? Little, you never heard of Little Poopy? Little, little Poopy. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, where, where were we? <laughs> I have no idea. He reminds me of a young James Spader. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, oh I can see that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you can put it if if this was done back in the ni- early nineties, this it would have been a a James Spader character. Also, uh, Michelle Michnor, Sonia Bailey, who's another cop. Jordana Brewster as the uh, psychoanalyst, the shrink. Wow. Yeah. Know her mostly from Fast and Furious movies. And she was in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. Right. And her lips are too thin. Shut up. She's attractive. Just her upper lip. Her upper lip is non-existent. Her lower lip is fine. I, I agree with that, yeah. Oh, man. I didn't include Cruz on here. Damn it. And uh, the character is listed as Bernard Scorsese, but that's not his actual name. That is oh. what they call him, though. True, but he it's doesn't like it, and that's not you know his official name. I'm he, sticking up. I'm sticking up for you, Bernard. He settles into it, though. They call him that the all the time whenever they come. Yeah, he eventually stops fighting it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jonathan Fernandez, who my kids actually thought was Richard Aoud from uh, the IT uh-huh. crowd. <laughs> Every time he sees a body, he's like, try mm. turning it off, turning it back on again. <laughs> they thought, yeah, they thought it was Moss. Uh, call call nine 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 eight one eight. That's another one of those shows I can just put it on in the background and let it run. Uh, <laughs> Chandler Kinney as Rihanna Murtaugh and Dante Brown as Roger Murtaugh Jr. RJ. RJ. Yeah. The kids and I have to say the kids really are better than other TV show kids. For sure. Uh, RJ in particular had the in many other shows would have been incredibly irritating and he was not. No. No, yeah, the episode that, that featured him and, and Riggs and that whole side plot, he was really good. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah. So this, I think, has anybody, any of us been watching this? 
No, I watched the show. Yep, yeah. watch it just for the show. Okay, yep, well. me too. Here's some trivia. In the pilot episode, in the beginning where we see Riggs' wife, Miranda, we wait, wave to the next-door neighbor watering his lawn. The house behind him is the house the Murtaugh's lived in from the Lethal Weapon film. Oh. oh. I thought that they was must, a fun... That like is... I said, they must have still had the rights to that property. Yeah. Or they're like, hey, you, I know you live here now. Is it cool if we just do this opening shot just for like a thing? <laughs> I would say yeah. If I was in there. Yeah, heck yeah. Uh, the series premiered 29 years after Lethal Weapon. That's a long the, time. Couldn't quite get to 30, I guess. Uh, in the pilot, Roger Murtaugh is said to have recently celebrated his 50th birthday. Damon Wines turned 56 the month the pilot aired. Damn. Uh, Danny Glover was only 41 when the original movie premiered in 1987. I thought that was pretty interesting. fucking good for 56. And Danny Glover looked like shit for 41. <laughs> right? Yeah, no I, would, I would definitely switch those two ages if I didn't know. Yeah. That's why Danny Glover was younger than the youngest of us when he did Lethal Weapon. Jesus. What the hell? Isn't that crazy? That, <laughs> he he oh. really is getting too old for this shit. Are we all <laughs> too old for this shit? Look at how it's aging him. God bless it. Now he's doing the badass films, so him and uh, Danny Trejo. That's oh, crazy. those three movies are fantastically just stupid fun. They're like Charles Bronson type movies. Nice. Uh, in the last episode of season one during the graduation, one name is called out, Michael Wayans Kyle, a play on Damon's character for my wife and kids, Michael Kyle. The other name that was called out was Homie Wayans. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody caught that. The third name was Last Boy Scout. Wayans. 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 Major, Wayans. Now, now we're saying it wrong. Hey, Major, Major Payne Wayans. <laughs> Major, a lot of Wayans in this clue. They just list off all his movies. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm i in Josh's camp. We're going to watch this show. He's Murtaugh. That sounded kind of goofy because you. I think of Major Payne. I think of Homie the Clown. I'm like, okay, he. I thought initially it would be like a race switch. Or Riggs would be Damon type of thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, because I knew nothing. I only knew that he was in it. I didn't know who he played. I didn't put any huh. credence well, to that at all. To go one step further, I wasn't even aware he was in it when like his name popped up. I was like, Damon Wayans. And then I realized he was Murtaugh. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that was the thing is knowing that this show was still going, it had been renewed twice, made me curious. Because if it had been a one season and done thing. It obviously would have been what I thought it was. But hearing that it was on season three, I was curious. And I got it. Yeah, I will admit I, I was pleasantly surprised by Damon Wayans as Murtaugh. Well, and when I first heard about this, I kind of just blew it off as, oh, boy, here we go. You know, they're going to try and <laughs> bring this to TV. But I should know better because after Fargo and Hannibal and some of the other stuff we've talked about, they got a pretty good track record with some of this translation. And, and in this one, they didn't go for a straight yeah. translation. I, I wasn't even aware that this show existed until we the, did, the took big, this as a topic. biggest thing for me was that the two leads did not decide to do a bad impression of Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. They're like, we've got our relationship. We've got our archetypes. And beyond those things, the few things that are set in stone about our character, we're going to go slightly different directions with these guys. And, and somebody, I could, yeah, the show was way improved for that decision. And luckily, at least from what we can tell so far, I'm only seven episodes in. Uh, no sign of Joe Pesci character yet. So 
I was kind of worried when the ganger guy showed up. Oh, I like Cruz. Well, I didn't say I didn't like Cruz. I just, when he first showed up and he's like all hunched over and it looks like his face was drawn diagonally. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I was worried initially he, that he it looks was, like he got too close to a bonfire. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really worried that now he was going to turn into the Joe Pesci, but I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I have to say that is the theme for this entire show is I am pleasantly surprised by this. They could have gone, uh, I think I even said it in the chat while we were watching it, that they could have gone to 11 and go full, full core bananas doing the three stooges, uh, references and all that in here, but they didn't. They kept it where Riggs is a broken guy, and you can really understand it. You know, Murtaugh yeah. has his his retirement or whatever coming up. He's just trying to keep his family safe. There are a lot more... I have a lot more compassion for this Murtaugh and Riggs than I did in the ones in the movies. Yeah, Damon Wayans dialing himself back and giving a restrained performance that I didn't think he was capable of paired with Clay Crawford's just raw charisma sells this. And like the supporting cast is fine. Like nobody's bad, but just the two of them being so incredibly strong, make this work. And there, yeah, there's no one that sticks out that, 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 that breaks a scene or anything, or that takes you out of any of the scenes. Everybody does a, a, a really good job with their characters and the two leads do a very good job of carrying this. You're right. I wonder if, if McGee, <laughs> I hate saying his name. I wish he would go by something else. If he was a fan of the original property and like McGee? When, when it came up, he, he decided he wanted to, to do it justice. And so maybe because of that, maybe that's what did it. I don't know. But yeah, this, this show was much better than I thought it deserved to be. Well, th- this would be a good enough show without the lethal weapon movies. Like just like if this called, was its own show. Yeah. I mean, oh Yeah. There's a few moments here and there that are a little bit contrived. Um, I really did not like the whole uh, scene when they were on the when he was on when Riggs was on the roof with the woman and like uh, Murtaugh shoots the satellite, which causes Riggs to immediately turn to the exact area where the sniper is and grab her and jump off the roof and into another apartment. I was like, okay, that's a little too much. Yeah, but I mean, they they do. I think every now and then, like I said earlier, that there's kind of like a nod to the movies in just about all the episodes. Like in three, the third third episode where they're at the chop shop, they get into the fight and they do the same thing in the third episode that they do in the third movie when uh, what's her name is fighting. Um, uh, Russo. Uh, Russo. Russo. Renee Russo's fighting and she they get into the fight and they she hits the bar on the jack on the car and crushes the guy's foot. With the with the wheel with no tire on it. Yeah, one guy got pinned under the car with his foot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of nod to things that happened in the movies, and I think did I don't recall him doing it in the second or third, but does he do anything like that in the th- in the fourth movie? Any of us that haven't drunk that out of our brains? <laughs> I don't remember that. I think there was another scene though that they were similar, where they jump out of the window into the swimming pool, which I don't know if you guys. Oh got that yeah, far. they did. But yeah, that that's was in the, the hotel. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. That happens in like episode six, I think. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've only gotten through it uh, four, I think. Yeah. It's either episode five or six. But yeah, they, they do throw a, a nods periodically to the film, but they're never heavy handed or like it's uh, obvious. 
Right. It seems sometimes when you're trying to make a wink and a nod reference to something classic, there's this really cutesy, hey, look how clever we're being. And I never got that from the series. And I think the one thing somebody's running around going diplomatic immunity. (laughs) (laughs) I I think all of us can agree, though, on something we kind of were talking about yesterday is that the one thing that the show could have been improved by was stopping the episodic format and having either an overarching storyline that was carrying, tying all of them together or having multiple episodes that focused on one storyline instead of 45 minutes done. And like every, you know, every day there's something else just crazy and chaotic that, you know, Riggs is doing. It's like, you know, nobody can maintain that pace. Well, yeah, it's, it's case of the week. And you see that with a lot of these procedurals, it happened like when you get to season three of Lucifer, like you have to make so many episodes and not all of them are going to nail it, like hit it out of the park. Yeah. Just kind of nature of the beast. But I think for what it well, is, I, I don't know why we don't just start. Ad- I mean, I know why money, but I mean, I, I, I wish they would start adapting like the, the European, you know, six to 10 episodes per season instead of feeling like I have to put out, you know, 12 to 20 every day. I'm, you know, it's like, right. If you have eight mm. episodes worth of story, don't make 22. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like don't, don't dilute your own product. You know, all they want to look at is money most of the time. Well, I mean, if they're getting paid by the episode, I mean, that's what well, I think knowing that it's got that weakness that is common to many things that are like it for what it is. It's a very good example of that. I would say it's better than a lot of the other police procedurals that have that same weakness. Well, I, I mean, you know, not to not to shit on it, you know, uh, but I mean, I did enjoy this more than I enjoyed Hawaii Five, Hawaii Five O. Yeah, I think. One of the one of the reasons is for myself enjoying it better than Y five O. I think again the characters in this one are a lot more identifiable. Yeah, and I think Hawaii Five O was trying to lean back more into the big ensemble instead of two really strong leads with some supporting cast behind them. Yeah, and yeah, this just is a stronger choice with you've got two characters and the relationship between them and. Uh, Murtaugh's family is something you can care about from episode to episode. Yeah, and I let and what what you were saying we were saying earlier, Murtaugh's family is not annoying. Right. I, I would just, that's what I was gonna say before you started talking it was like it makes it a lot easier to care about them when they're not annoying. Which they could have done that really easily, um, gone over the top with that, and and they didn't. They, everything feels kind of restrained, is a word somebody used earlier with uh, Keenan. Or Keenan. See, now I'm doing it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Wayans. At least I miss. Hey, Wrong Wayans. At least I misspeak uh, words that actually exist, Joel. I suck. I'm going to stop talking. You make up your yeah, own I words. haven't gotten to a. Uh, October Wayans. <laughs> I haven't gotten to a Rihanna Murtaugh episode yet, but I'm looking forward to one because RJ was solid and uh, just incredible amounts of charm from Trish. There's a decent. There's one that has a bit more Rihanna in it coming up if you continue to watch. But unlike Hawaii Five O, this is a show that I felt like continuing to watch. I didn't just was like, okay, I'm going to get a few episodes in and call it a day. I intentionally kept going, and the only reason I stopped is that we were recording tonight. So, <clears throat> you know, that's a good sign. Yeah, I may watch more episodes of this. I'm not 100% on it, but I mean, it, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't hate it, and I, I mean, it was, it was well done. I think, you know, I think. Uh, Damon Wayans was much better than I thought he was going to be, and the guy playing Riggs was uh, 
was a is, is a great find. I mean, the the what he's brought to the character of Riggs, I really I, I enjoy his take. Yeah, it's a very different take from the the movies, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Absolutely, and I think he, you know, what his character is all about by the end of the first episode, and uh, while he's continuing to go through his self-destructive behavior in new and different ways in every episode, they're consistent new and different ways with what you know of him as a character. Mm-hmm. And four episodes in, I will say so far, my favorite scene has been the um, the fight scene between the two of them and, and Black Hulk <laughs> in, the, in, in the gym shower. I just watched it, and that was, that was pretty damn funny. That was amazing. I, I mean, not, not only do you have, like, you know, a, a giant naked black man, which, you know, can't be bad to start, you know, as a starting point. But there, there's there's great music. The choreography is good. It's funny. I mean, and it's just the whole the whole scene is really well done. I love the fake out opening where you think you found a body on the beach and it's a naked rigs. Oh yeah, wrapped yeah. in seaweed. Yeah. Do I look homeless? <laughs> <laughs> Do you not? Have... And then you see him yeah. later on. He's washing his clothes in the shower on the beach. Yeah. yeah and, and... How, how 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 many? How many press shirts do you have here? Five. Yeah, the lifeguard makes him put on clothes, so he grabs an old lady's hat and walks off the beach. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I like about it is that the secondary characters, like Scorsese, are given time to be funny. Like, no, for Scorsese, I, while I think he's, you know, he's witty and all that when he's in, when you're looking at the dead bodies and all that, but when he does the one meeting, and the thing it's like episode one or two, and Riggs grabs the bagel puts cream cheese on it and then dips it in his coffee and he's in the middle of chucking. He's like, what are you doing? That's, that's not a thing people do. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> you're, you're not enhancing the flavor at all. It's just, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's well written that you don't have these, like we said earlier, it's, it's not these gangbuster in your face, turn to 11, two main characters and all these cardboard standups behind them. I think everybody, including like Brooks Avery, the, you know, the chief police chief, all have you can tell that there is more to it more to than just their character like we know for a fact that brooks avery and uh murtaugh were partners before this so you have that they also give you an answer to a not sufficiently in my mind addressed question in the uh movies of like why doesn't someone just do something about them where you've got his father-in-law as the boss of his boss right trying to pay considering him family considering him his son mm-hmm. right and keeping him gainfully employed when he should have been a desk jockey a long time ago or driven off the force with some of his antics which it's nice that they in further episodes they stop playing up the the running tag tab joke um because they stopped blowing shit up left and right yeah that that was kind of actually it was kind of funny for the when they first did it. And then you go into the officer the second time and it's listed as like $1 million after he drives a truck through the building. Right. And that's something you couldn't keep up because at some point the city's going to be like, look, you got to fire these fuckers. <laughs> this is costing us way too much money and bad press. No matter who's, you know, pulling the strings from above. Uh, but everybody's it, got a boss that leans on him at some point. What I'll be curious to see though, which I haven't seen, I've seen little twinklings of it as of where I'm at now. But what happens when Riggs hits the point where he starts to move past the death of his his um, wife? Yeah. What, you know, what, they... hap- what happens when he gets healthy? 
Right. Are they well, going to go the Rene Russo kind of sort of route? I would guess they're probably going to get into the did his wife die just randomly or is there going to be a revenge arc where he's just he thinks he's over oh. it and then he finds out it wasn't an accident? That an ad- is that's what happened out at with the episode two of the um, the movies. So I would predict in the future that's where they go with keeping this going, not having him just eternally broken. He starts to heal, and that revelation hits him and breaks him again. Or and what if season two was that whole the whole arc of that? Then I say, or but, you could get the the uh, thread of he's going to find whoever it was that killed his wife. I mean, then you have like a, <laughs> a ongoing thing that would go through the entire uh, entire season. Exactly. If that was like season two was by the end of season one, he's better somewhat. And then you find out what happened. And then season two, amidst all the cases, they're tracking down the murderer. And then I don't know what happened. Season three, we Renee Russo and Joe Pesci show up finally. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Don't do that. Okay. No, stop. (laughs) But no, um, I, whatever you want, want, Joel gets. (laughs) That's why they call him Joel gets. Stop. <laughs> no, don't so, stop. Keep doing that. Joel gets, Joel gets, Joel gets, Joel gets. Now it's just lost all its Even I'm thinking this got weird. <laughs> wow, and you're a great baseline for that, too. So, <laughs> All right, so... You can make another joke about somebody's dead kid. <laughs> the difference between a child and a bag of cocaine? Oh, <laughs> Eric Clapton wouldn't let a bag of cocaine fall out the window. Yikes. I'm not going to be carpooling with you anymore. <laughs> I don't know where to take that. Um, I think we should thumbs up, thumbs down. Me. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm yeah, not let's asking. Go to thumbs up, thumbs down. I was about to ask about next week, but we got to do. We have business to take care of. First. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Movies. <sighs> uh, thumbs up for the first one. Thumbs sideways for the second one, and thumbs down for three and four. I'm exactly where Pat is on the original films. I'm going to take them as a complete body of work and say thumbs up for the films. Uh, and if I had to like do a whole, like one, one thumbs up for all four, it would actually probably go down because I think even as much as I like the first one, three and four, man. Well, yeah. If someone said you would never have to watch two through four again, but as a price, you can never watch one again. I would say deal. <laughs> yeah. I've seen Willie the weapon enough. I can remember it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's that's a that's a definite trade-off I would do, yeah. You'll never up. have to see these again, but so you never get to see this. <laughs> is Lethal Weapon 5 better than Lethal Weapon 3 and 4? Yes. <laughs> not a not a doubt. I can't disagree with you that. <laughs> oh, I love Lethal Weapon 5. <laughs> so, TV show, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Well, what I've seen, I definitely it's a definite thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. Enthusiastic thumbs up from me. Yeah, same yep. here. I might, I might so far, I mean, granted, I'm only four episodes in, but I might so far like it just as much as Lethal Weapon, the first movie. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Good stuff, Maynard. Very impressed. So what do we have on tap for next week, gentlemen? We have got card games, but non-collectible card games. We've already done a show on Magic the Gathering. Now we're doing a show on card games that come... Didn't we do one on Magic and one on collectible card games? Two separate shows? That's possible. We've done a lot of shows. True. 
And we've done one on board games, but this is specifically everything from poker and spades to pit and guillotine, kings star runs, kings in the corner. Yeah, whether it's traditional with your family around the card table or just a like European hobby shop board game that doesn't have a board. It's cards only. We're going to be talking about it. Milborn. Indeed. So, yeah, if you want to uh, get ready for that show and tell us what your favorite card game is, or you want to tell us uh, your thoughts on Lethal Weapon, the series, or the films, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. Phase 10. Rook. Tin Remy. Next week. iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talks, Repository, 7, New FM.com. Pitch. Old uh, maid. The girl These genius. Are all examples of games we will be talking about next. Girl week. genius. Uno. Oh, Uno. Oh, how many family fights have started with Uno? All of them. Yes. Skip bow. Ooh. Ooh. What, what about cribbage? If you pick up. I've never played cribbage. I have a cribbage board. Is yeah. it technically a board game? No, it's soul card game. Have you played? I like cribbage? A I think it's a hybrid. Cribbage. All right, we'll discuss this yeah, next this week. Yeah, this is next week. You, okay, we're stopped. We're going down that rabbit hole. All right, thank you very much for listening, and uh, non-collectible card games next week. Darr. I'm getting <laughs> too old for this shit. <laughs>